Well, how have you enjoyed the Olympics? Did you like the swimming? I'm sure you enjoyed the pad pageantry. And how about the swimming? <laughs> and there was lots of drama, wasn't there? Uh, and it was in the swimming. <laughs> and uh, how about the tension? And the swimming. <laughs> and uh, the royals, weren't they great at the swimming? <laughs> and did you like pretending not to know who won? Wasn't that great? <laughs> and, and of course the medals were superb at the swimming. <laughs> so let me end um, with a new suggested swear word. And if you don't want to hear the suggested swear word, then put your fingers in your ears. But it's NBC. <laughs> the thing that uh, gripped, gripped me about the Olympics and about all champion sportsmen is that time after time they refer to a, a hero who was a role model. And these role models then, they acknowledge, play an enormous part in their development and uh, they speak to them as people who inspire them to the extent that they would copy them. And in line with that thinking, an early mentor in my own Christian walk suggested that I pick an image from the scripture as a model for my own aspirations. In a sense, this is my hero and my role model that I've tried to keep in front of me and grow into uh, for the 50 years of my Christian experience. It is uh, from the book of Jeremiah, and Brent used it as a call to worship this morning. Uh, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Well, I've been trying to make the Lord my hope and confidence. I haven't always been good at it. It's a journey, so my path has not followed easy contours but has been abject with despair at times and shaky with fear at times. I flatter myself showing a picture of a 330-foot redwood. The base, here you see somebody sitting here actually, or standing here. And the base of a tree like that takes 30 people to join hands to link around it. That's how huge they are. You need to get to try and see one if you can. I don't know where I really am on the grand scale of things. Maybe I'm a bit more like this bristle cone pine tree. That feels a bit more real to me. Uh, but this tree is actually far more impressive than the redwood. Bristle cone pines are the oldest living organisms on the face of the earth. That one is between four and five thousand years old. Look where it lives. It lives in a desert terrain. It's above 10,000 feet. You don't find them under 10,000 feet. 
so it gets blasted by the climate in ways that we don't experience. It gets hit by blizzards, by probably 200 mile per hour winds. It gets seared by heat. It lives in a rarefied atmosphere, but it grows on. Now, uh, I wish that I could say I was 45,000 years old, but you'd know I, I was lying if I said that. <laughs> what I do say, when I look at that tree and understand its existence and the fact that it triumphantly grows on, I say, Lord, hear my prayer. What we want to ask this morning, of prayer is a core value of the church, and I'm believe of every person in this auditorium is what are the processes that function to make these trees manifest God's glory because that's a deep desire in every believer's heart is it not I want to see God's glory but I would also like him to manifest it through me and the thing that we will agree on I'm sure without exception is that the hidden life is the important thing in terms of a tree's development. And it's the hidden life that is the important thing in our spiritual development as well. Uh, there are many people who've got great stage presence and who are uh, self-confessed redwoods. But the issue is not what we confess ourselves it is how is our root system developing I could in a sense say to you that every person who has confessed Christ and I'll show this in the scriptures in a moment is actually rooted and grounded in Jesus and so we could really end the church service here and I could say the benediction and you'd all, all could go home but I know you don't want that you want money for your you want value for your tithe don't you so I'm going to give you some extra value this morning here's the question how does the nutrient from the soil sustain the tree because that's the question before us this morning. How does the fact that I'm rooted in Christ actually nourish and grow my spiritual life? And the process is actually very simple. It's embraced in two words. The first one is osmosis. And it is through a process of osmosis that the nutrients enter the root and I'm very pleased to say that osmosis is a subconscious thing that's happening in your life. Uh, it's happening right now. Right now, through a process of osmosis, there are things sinking in. And they are going to impact you and influence you and be important to you. It happens whenever you pray. It happens whenever you talk to another believer. It happens in your small group. Uh, it happens whenever you turn your thoughts to God. God nourishes your roots and you're not even aware of it. That bristlecone pine tree, I uh, calculated, grows an average of 1.8 inches a year. 5,000 years to be 60 feet tall. 
and it's been nourished throughout those 5,000 years. So the first thing is osmosis, which is just the wonderful grace of God. We sang about it in that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and it talked about God's grace just surrounding us and we being nourished by it. Uh, but the second part is transpiration. So how does that nutrient that is osmo osmosed, I don't know if that's a correct word, but I can make them up. After all, I'm in, in the pulpit this morning. <laughs> so how does that nutrient that has been osmosed into the roots get up the trunk and 330 feet high into the air? Well, it's through transpiration. I read up that 90% of all the water that a tree sucks up from its roots actually gets transpired. Uh, and so the leaf, through its spores, gives off moisture, and that creates an inequality in pressure or a vacuum, and it draws the moisture up 330 feet in order that the tree might grow and develop, remain green, and bear fruit. And what a picture of prayer is that we transpire God's grace and it draws his nourishment. And as your life develops, so does your root system also grow. And the two are like a horse and carriage. They can't be separated. And the, the greater you want your life to be in terms of God's purpose, uh, the more you will want your root to develop. And as the root develops, the tree grows and it transpires and the osmosis happens. What a great picture of prayer. So through prayer, you ex exhale all the rotten air that normally would choke you to death. And you breathe in the oxygenated, oxygenated air of Jesus, the nourishing life of Christ himself. And this grows you. How did Green Tree come to have prayer as a core value? Well, some 14 years ago when the church was founded, they, the leadership went through a process and developed this as a, as a house that represents who Green Tree is and who they aspire to be. And what they did as a very beginning point was say that the foundation of everything that we do and believe and what we testify to is that the great creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the foundation of our church and of our personal lives. The triune God did not leave us to our own stumbling and say, well, find your way. He revealed himself in the word of God. So the word of God is basic to Green Tree Community Church. We hold it to be accurate. We hold it to be without error. We hold that it does provide the only means of uh, life and is the basis of our faith. And out of the word of God was developed this great purpose. You see it every week on the screen here to know Jesus Christ, to serve him in joyful obedience. So glad the word joyful is there. And make him known. 
by growing disciples. Another great, great way to express it. Uh, planting churches and renewing communities. That's what we want to do. How do we do it? Well, these are the core values that shape us. And so through the summer, uh, an elder has taken each one. Uh, and uh, this morning we are to deal with the core value of prayer. And it's not self-generated. It comes to us through the word of God and from the heart of God. I would say that prayer is the mother of all the values. I'm quite sure that every meeting was couched in prayer when they developed these four, these seven core values as the pillars of our church. And that uh, without prayer, the others won't happen. Because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So we can do all our stuff. But if we're not being nourished by prayer, if we're not doing it in a prayerful way, it's just stuff. Prayer then is uh, really the, the heart not only of our church, but it is also the heart of your personal life. Somebody said that you can gauge the spirituality of any person and of any church by referencing their prayer life. And that makes me say, ouch. You see, we struggle with prayer more than anything else, don't we? For lots of reasons. The devil's always trying to say, you don't really need to pray, you know. Just go and do stuff. And so we're good at doing, but are we doing it prayerfully? And uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. I organized the summer series, so I said to each elder, uh, here the list of core values are, give me your top three and the dates you'll be in town, and I'll see if I can get that all onto a calendar. And not one of them said, prayer is in my top three priorities. So I said, oh, heck, I'm stuck with it. <laughs> and uh, this has been to me one of the hardest sermons I've, I've ever worked on and, uh, and presenting because I'm such a failure at this myself. And what I really feel is that I'm a little bit like this. I'm actually uh, just an old dandelion. <laughs> There's not much in my prayer life that's happening. Do you know the interesting thing about this dandelion is the ratio of the depth of the root to the foliage on top is so impressive. I don't know how many times I've looked and seen there's a dandelion and yanked it out only to have it break about half an inch below the surface. And the dandelion said, you sucker, I got you. Because you see, it's just going to bulk up its root and send up another little green leaf, which I will think I can get rid of by plucking. And the process will continue of bulking up its root. And really, that's what prayer does. It bulks up your root and uh, all the adversity when the devil plucks you or the world mocks you and chops off your foliage or circumstances do that. 
when you're a praying person, it doesn't actually matter because the root is being developed. And you will notice that there are two root systems here to this, this dandelion. There's the tap root, which goes deep. And there, there are the secondary roots, which go wide. And for our purposes this morning, we're going to talk about these two as prayer systems that undergird the Christian. And I'll start with the secondary root system, uh, which should be far and growing further and growing stronger. That giant redwood that we saw, the 330-foot one, it doesn't have a very deep taproot, interestingly enough. You can see from this upended redwood, here's a person sitting here, so that from top to bottom is probably about 50 feet. And have a look where each root breaks off. It's as thick as my body. And uh, what botanists say is that one single giant redwood can have a root system four acres in extent. That's like being at the intersection of 32 tennis courts. I think that's about four acres. One tree far and wide. Of course, redwoods grow in groves, so their roots are interlocked. That's how they survive the storms, which is another nice image. We survive our storms by being interlocked in fellowship. Uh, but our point this morning is this one, is that the far and growing further and stronger is something which I think every believer is doing very naturally that we are very good at what I call chatter-type prayers. Uh, somebody referred to it this morning as an arrow, that uh, he's very good. He takes an arrow and shoots it off at, to God. Uh, and we're good at the Instagram-type stuff with God. And a lot of our praying is only that. That's all we do is, oh, God, help. Oh, please, Lord, I need you. God bless Auntie Susie, who's got ingrown toenails and... Uh, you know, Joe needs work on his teeth, so just be there, God. Um, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not mocking that. I'm saying that that is an essential part. This is the, the chatter-type praying that takes place. And it's great and glorious, and I want to encourage it. And I give you a whole bunch of ways to do it, but just have a look at the scriptures that relate to this. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, um, continue instant in prayer. Uh, the instant part is every instant of your life, turn to God in prayer and continue to do that. And then he says to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Uh, just both fabulous concepts. And then as a sign of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he says, you will be giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, always. You see, without ceasing, instant, always, in all things, that your whole life must be turned into prayer. And it is actually a prayer, but maybe you're not aware of it. And if you know yourself and you know there's an ongoing conversation in your head, 
you're chattering all the time there. When you say to your teenagers, what are you thinking? And they say nothing. That's a lie. <laughs> and when you say to your wife, dear brother, that's a lie. You're not thinking about nothing. You're either embarrassed to tell her or you're not aware of it yourself. And now says the Apostle Paul, why don't you include God in the conversation that's going on in your head? He's there anyway, but why don't you acknowledge it and include him in that conversation? Well, it's a bit embarrassing, you know, because, man, I right down the road and I see such stupid stuff happening and I think, what idiots. And if I bring God into the conversation, you will see how it becomes a means of repentance because the Holy Spirit says, excuse me, do you remember Jesus said that he who calls his brother an idiot is in danger of hellfire? Oh no, God. This is someone made in your image and I can't be arrogant and judgmental and critical. And my thinking changes. And I can say the same about any other area where my thinking is evil. And it's so easy for it to be evil. God is there and he's putting a check on it. And he's bringing about the change. And you see that redwood is growing. Or the thistle. Whatever. It's growing. So pay attention to it and deliberately make a God, God a part of it. And oh, may God bless you as you turn the chatter into a conversation with him. Delightful things will happen as well. All the negatives of your life, the places you complain, uh, God will say, well, you know, what was that bit about being filled with the Spirit and always giving thanks for all things? Okay, God, I get the message. Lord, I praise you for who you are and for your presence in this difficult circumstance. And immediately you've got a new context to the difficult circumstances of your life. Now, I've written up, uh, it just took me a minute. I thought instead of printing the scripture in the seasons weekly, here are seven thoughts about developing the chatter part of your prayer life. Uh, they're not exhaustive. I'd love them to be a conversation. Send me ideas. Tell me which ones work for you, which ones don't. Uh, talk to them with someone. Remember, this is a value in your life. Remember that? That means you're going to devote time and energy to it. So I invite you to take your seasons weekly home and read that through and uh, look at it and say that one will never work for me but these others may work and uh, I'd like to share them with people I love and with people I fellowship with and then there's the taproot which needs to be deep and growing deeper now this is not just a challenge for me uh, I'll tell you it's a downright struggle 
And I can tell you that I have had months of dryness in this area of taproot praying, where the only praying I've done is chatter. And I will tell you that um, the chatter type praying for all the satisfaction it gives uh, cannot take the place of taproot praying. And uh, you can actually gauge your spiritual health by the depth of your taproot praying. So if you ever thought you don't have any poverty of spirit, uh, here's the one that will make you aware of just how poor in spirit you are. Here's some scriptures that deal with it. Ephesians 3, uh, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may discover with all the saints the dimensions of God's love, the height, length, breadth, and it. So altogether, you're rooted in Christ. Uh, and pray from that place. I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, this is the second part of Ephesians 3.17, you'll be able to take it in with all the followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. That's what you explore in taproot praying. Reach out. Experience the breath. Say, this is a value. I'm going to start doing it. Don't say, I'll start with four hours. I've done that before. Say, gee, I need to pray more, set the alarm for 4 a.m., and by 4.15, I'm back in bed again. Start small and build it, but test the length, plumb the depths, rise to the height, and that's how you live full lives, full in the fullness of God. And uh, the way that I've learned to do this is to do it in conjunction with another activity. So I often walk and pray. I've taken to going down to the botanical gardens and doing an hour-long walk through the gardens and just doing this, inviting, inviting God in whom I'm rooted to flood me with his love. And praying, taproot praying, where I get all the chatter out of the way. I follow the chatter and take God with me down the chattering way and then reach a point where I've got it all out of my system. Now I can sit on a bench and just say, God, I love you. You're just so great. I just want to be with you. And so that's when the formal communication starts and just sitting in silence and maybe flipping through a page of the scriptures and Looking at the beauty, I sit by a little stream and being aware of the flowing water, uh, something steals over me that is so delicious that I long for more of it. And then I do it on a daily basis. Uh, I get up usually around about the same time and then I've got things I need to do. I need to feed the dog. Um, I want to make myself some coffee. If Shando's awake, I want to take her tea. And I've learned that while I'm doing that, I'm going to be at prayer. So I do some chatter praying there, but I also just say, God, in these next 40 minutes when I'm going to be doing these routine things, 
I want your presence in a very deep and satisfying way. And then I start sharing my day, thinking about whom I'm going to see and call and all the million things that need doing. And uh, it's just a way of growing and developing. So Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He does abide in me. Now let me be conscious of his abiding. And Paul says, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. Go ahead with your day. Do it. You received Christ Jesus the master. Now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. So do what you've been taught. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. So, you know, in any marriage, there's chatter going on. Uh, will you get bread on your way home? Who's going to buy the milk? Who'll put out the trash? Who's going to vacuum the floors? Who's going to water the garden? And that's an essential and delicious part of all relationships, isn't it? But if that's all you've got, man, your marriage is in deep trouble. Because there must be times when you sit and look into each other's eyes and say, what are you scared of? How are you doing? And I don't just mean that as a casual toss-off question, but how are you coping with your depression? And um, what are your aspirations? What are you feeling about the kids? How do we walk together in unity? How's your heart? That's taproot communication. And so a lot of it is listening to God, which is so hard to do because the minute I sit down and say, I'm going to start listening to God, oh boy, here's a book I'd love to read. And the phone rings. And then I think of something I need to do and jump up and it's like agitation. And our world with its instant communication adds to this agitated sense of living. And God says, sit down. I want to tell you something. And you won't get it just by listening for two seconds. Find a place where you can say, by hook or by crook, I listen for an hour. Then you will stop studying the subject of prayer and start living it. Now, I've done the same thing with taproot praying. I just took me five minutes, not one minute. The chatter praying was pretty simple. But the taproot praying, I've put 12 suggestions for you there. This is a value to you. I encourage you go and enjoy God read through those say this one might work for me that one won't send me your suggestions let's continue the conversation but let's do it let's stop studying and start living and I invite you wherever you gather for prayer in a group or with a friend or you see Green Tree doesn't have a formal prayer meeting like a lot of churches do, we depend on you to be praying in your groups and 
among your friends, oh, do some tattery praying. And that means saying, what has God promised? Not just, you know, I've got an ache and a pain, but what has God promised? Uh, I've been thinking about Acts chapter 2 for my entire ministry, which is now for over 40 years. And quite regularly, about once a year, I come back and read Acts chapter 2, and I see what God did in that early church, that people were being added to the church daily as they came to faith. And the disciples were all of one heart and mind in fellowship and prayer and thanksgiving and breaking of bread. And I say, God, I'm so hungry for that. So take some of the grand promises of the Bible and say, Lord, make me hungry. I want to live this. I don't just want to know about it with the hearing of the ear. I want my eyes to see. I want to know what this is. That's taproot. And that will bless you. So we come to the conclusion. And all the adversity of the high altitude and the searing blizzard and the poor soil and the other circumstances make something astonishingly beautiful. Don't you think so? Look at that. Point eight inches a year. So how many thousands of years did this root take to develop? That's what adversity does to you, dear friend. It makes your roots go out and look for nourishment. And I look around this room and know some who've been through such deep adversity. And all I can say to you is, my brother, my sister, thank you, Lord. Don't fear adversity. Know that it's going to grow your root. And in the eyes of God, you are wonderfully beautiful.